As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Welcome inside the Celtics Life Podcast. I'm Josh Coyne and I'm joined by professional musician and NBA fanatic Dan Bailey. We're connecting from thousands of miles apart. Where are you talking to me from? I live in Oceanside, California, and this is my last day home before headed your way to the UK. And that's obviously as part of the tour, uh, the UK leg of the tour, as the drummer for the ever-shy and retiring troubadour that is Father John <laughs> I'm a fan of his, and from what I've seen on the tour, the, the show looks incredible. So how have you found the tour so far? It's been great. Just uh, wrapped up the U.S. leg of the fall. Uh, we've been off for about two weeks, so just wrapped up uh, a month in the States. And then tomorrow we head over to do about three and a half weeks in Europe. And uh, and then we're done for a couple months. So looking looking forward to those shows and then looking forward to have some time off. So the tour is obviously touring the album Pure Comedy. Um, do you have a, a, a highlight of in terms of a best show so far? And I know that every artist says that the most recent city they've played is the best, but I'm going to need some honesty here. Uh, man, we've had some really good ones. Um, we just did the Greek Theater in L.A. That's a real special one because that's kind of a hometown show for everybody. Uh, mm. Man, had a really good show of all places, actually, you know, given the circumstances that, that Blue Hills uh, Bank Pavilion in Boston was actually one of the really good shows in the U.S. It was it was really fun. You're trying to win people over there. I like it. So, I, I am, but that's legitimately one of the best shows. <laughs> <laughs> so from what I hear, uh, the band have done a really fantastic job on on tour from kind of adapting songs. All, all the songs are sounding really on point, and kind of the live performances are bringing. Uh, bringing the songs an extra life but now this is obviously a basketball podcast so I suppose we'd better actually talk about basketball we're going to be talking <laughs> about the Celtics and Lakers as rival teams in different situations with both of us trying not to be shamelessly biased as you grew up outside of LA so the Lakers are your go-to team talk us through your NBA fandom Man, uh, grew up just watching you know that was the team on TV so when you're five six years old like the team that's on regional television is going to be your team. And yeah, my, my dad's really into basketball. So we watched, you know, obviously I was born in, in 81. So those late, all those late 80 teams, uh, straight into the, you know, then right after high school, I, I, we got the, uh, the three peat team. So right in like important stages of my development as a sports fan, you know, my team happened to be really good. Uh, so yeah, man, just, just grew up watching games, watching playoffs. Uh, this is the first time in my life they've been bad for a sustained uh, amount of time, but you know it's it's kind of fun watching a bunch of young kids try to figure out how to play basketball because we've always been a veteran team with a bunch of talent, and now we're on the complete opposite side of that. So you could almost become accustomed to the success, and it's a bit of a shock to the system. But now now you're starting to enjoy it. Yeah, I I like that. Uh, you know, you, you get to see who the, the kind of the real basketball fans are, you know, who, who can appreciate, you know, small, small changes in, in, you know, guys figuring out how to play and learning the game and the, the team's getting slightly better at things that, you know, will lead to wins in the future, but they're still pretty bad right now. 
yeah, I'm ha- I'm having fun rather than a a deep playoff team seemingly every year, you know, for most of my life. So, so that team that is developing, you are keeping, you, you know, you're keeping track of that team and the league as a whole, uh, and you're trying to do that when you're on tour. So, are you able to watch much league pass on the road? Yeah, I mean, league pass is obviously the the go to way to to follow a team. You know, anywhere anywhere I have my laptop, I've got uh, access to to all the games, and then because they archive them, I can watch them even the next morning if I, I don't make them. Or, it's it's tougher going. Uh, overseas to uh, where you guys are at because I, I think there's an international plan. I'm going to have to look into that before I take off because if I'm going to be over there for a month, I'm going to have to find a place or a way to watch some basketball, that's for sure. Yeah, it's essential. But talking about the actual the team itself, uh, we've had a, a very small sample size so far mm-hmm. uh, of the Lakers and how they're looking. Uh, you know, at, at the moment we're speaking um, – you know, they've played around, is it four or five games? I'm not entirely sure. But what are your first impressions? They're very, very young. <laughs> and uh, they're they're actually much better on defense than I would have thought they would have been. I mean, as it stands right now, they're like a middle third, like a middle tier defensive team, which they were dead last the last several seasons in most statistical categories. Uh, so actually, they're it's been way more fun to watch this this year because not only do you have you know Lonzo and Kuzma and some more rookies that are real fun to watch, but you are, because their defense is so improved, they're staying in games. They're, I mean, they're losing, but with the exception of one game, I think they they lost a game uh, by fifteen or twenty. Otherwise, they've all been in. They've been in the games they've been in. So you know, it's like a, you get a seven point loss, you get a two point loss, you get a two point win. You know, like they're they're being competitive, which is a major step forward over the last two years. So it's nice to actually see them going to head to head to people rather than kind of just the game be a bit of a write off from the start. But right. bit of a triv- bit of a trivial exercise, really. But let's let's talk about how you feel about certain players and their ceiling, how they've started, sure. and a kind of a best case, best worst case scenario for both of them. So after a roller coaster start of facing the everyone's favourite NBA pit bull. Patrick Beverly to a highly <laughs> impressive John Wall matchup uh, and beyond. How how impressed are you with Lonzo Ball, and what do you feel the best case scenario is for him? You know, the thing I'm most impressed with is when playing guys like Ball or sorry, uh, like uh, Wall and Beverly, guys who are very established in the league. Obviously, John Wall is one of the two or three best point guards in the league. Um, he's not. He doesn't seem to be shaken up by playing these veteran players who like have a lot of aggression and particularly like Patrick Beverly will like get in your face and tell you about how he's kicking your butt. Um, I actually think it's, it's great that he seems to not get too riled up about that stuff. Um, I think he's done about, I mean, the fact that he played John Wall and had 10 assists with one turnover, he's actually kept his turnovers relatively low, which for a 19 year old, that's maybe the most surprising thing. He still can't shoot. That's for sure. But, you know, hopefully those he's he's got to keep shooting and those makes will come, you know, eventually. But it's the 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 passing and, and kind of the deafness of how he sees the game is actually pretty impressive for a guy that age. What I loved about the Patrick Beverly thing is the way in which he kind of um, almost acted as though he was doing him a favor. And it was like a fatherly figure kind of um method of uh of, oh of sure help. yeah <laughs> he, he kind of made out as though he was he was kind of 
being friendly and it was like maybe the biggest case of being cruel to be kind I've ever seen in basketball. But um, <laughs> so, so moving on to Kuzma, what are your impressions on Kuzma so far? I mean, dude's, you know, got to pick up his, his, uh, he shoots a lot of outside shots, uh, as does the team as a whole without making many of them. That's, that would be the main problem. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, another guy that you just put in the game a lot, like, uh, he has a very similar vibe to, to Jason Tatum to me in that they don't look afraid. Like they look, if if you, someone told you, you know, if you are watching a team you've never seen before and someone told you Jason Tatum or Kyle Kuzma was 27, you'd be like, Oh yeah, sure. So the fact that they're so young is kind of amazing. Uh, Kuzma just isn't afraid of anybody can score with the best of them. I mean, he's, he's averaging like 15, uh, you know, despite only playing, you know, 28 minutes a game or something like that. Like he's, he's certainly giving them, there's a reason their bench is so good, and it's mainly because he can come in and score on anybody. And that's kind of half the battle, right, is that, you know, self-confidence and self-belief is is half of the, half of what you need when you come into the league for the first time. Because you see it with guys like the guys you've already already mentioned and also guys like De'Aaron Fox. I mean, the, what makes him now better than a lot of the rookie class is that he is just ready to play. Yeah, they're just not afraid. There's you certainly can't come into the league being either starstruck or kind of like deer in the headlights. Like you have to be kind of locked in and ready to play and know the things you do well and lean on those. And it seems to be this draft class has a lot of guys who like Ben Simmons is playing out of his mind too. Like they just all these guys that know what they do on a court and just do that and don't really try to reach for things they can't do. I think it, there's there's going to be you know, a half dozen all-stars out of this draft. If you, especially if you include, you know, Simmons obviously having his de facto rookie year. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, deer in headlights, a perfect segue. We can move on to Brandon Ingram. Um, <laughs> early, uh, early on, coming into the league, he had some unfair comparisons to Durant. You know, and that's obviously uh, for me. It's actually hard to pin a good comparison to him. Um, but but how do you feel? Do you think he's developed over the summer? Do you think he's a different player that, this year? He certainly has way more confidence. Like uh, I mean, he's he's taking he's taking shots. He's not at last year. He was afraid to shoot. Um, now they'll like ISO him at the top of the key. You know, to varied results. Some games. I mean, he's had a couple games where he has twenty five and twenty four already this year, and then he's had a couple games where he's like two for eleven. But the thing is, last year he would have been two for five, and he would just would have stopped shooting. Whereas like. If you're going to be leaned upon as one of the go-to scorers on a team, like, you know, all the great volume scores in league history, like, they're going to be nights. Like, there's going to be nights. Kyrie goes two for 15. It just happens. But, you know, but he averages 23 a game for a reason because you, you have mm-hmm. to take shots. So I think that Ingram, defensively, he looks way better this year. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's, you know, that's his major asset is being so athletic and super long. Uh he does a good job, even when, you know, guys with more experience beat him with a move, just his length allows him to still kind of be in the way. So he's he's doing real well with kind of being disruptive and getting steals in the passing lanes. And I think he's been playing real well. It just is, again, like he's got to keep shooting and hopefully they start going in at some point. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the one thing I would say is it is mental and, it, it you know, he does appear to be a bit more aggressive, but the the thing that I think he needs to learn, and I think this is a sign for uh, naturally savvy players that come into the league, is he doesn't appear to kind of adapt his game depending on who's guarding him. So he can be 
guarded by Anthony Davis and guarded by Milos Teodosic. And so far this year, he kind of pulls the same moves. He'll, he'll turn, he'll face up, do a dribble move, and then just use his length to go around them. So I think right. it's all mental. And I think obviously he's still a really young dude. So I mean, it's I mean, it's going to happen for him, surely. Yeah, he he does need to do a better job of recognizing. Like uh, there was a bit in that Clippers game where they were guarding him with Beverly, and in that case, it's mm. like Beverly's six feet tall, maybe. You're six nine. Take him to the post. You have good post moves. Don't face up and shoot a twenty footer. Like, just take him to the rim. And it, that's mm-hmm. that's something it seems like as players get get better about recognizing. Like, oh, I, you know, or if you get a big on you in a mismatch, then you face up and you try to go around them or something. You know, but recognizing who's guarding you, not just like I'm going to go to move number one, and if that doesn't work, move number two. Non dependent on who's guarding me is not a mm-hmm. smart way to play basketball. Is exactly. So quickly, Julius Randle, uh, he seems to be quite tuned in defensively this year. He's, he's obviously conditioned himself brilliantly. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Man, I got to go to uh, the Pelicans game. So last Sunday, about a week ago now, um, and he was playing kind of out of his mind. I mean, he got he got a Cousins into a couple offensive fouls, got a tech called on him for, for kind of getting in his head a little bit. Like Julius, when he's right, is a great player or at least a, a very, very good player that could be a good player on a good team. But again, it's it's another guy who's all mental. Like, if he's locked in, he, he's going to rebound as good as anybody. He can guard guards on the on pick-and-roll switches, like, as, as well as any big in the league. It's just a matter of what amount of effort you're going to get. When he's in shape and he's ready, he's a really good player. It's just, let's see that over. I would love to see what he's doing now over the course of a season. Obviously, the Lakers would, too, because they haven't re-signed him. To an, to an extension. So they want to see if he can do this for, you know, 75 or 80 games. Speaking of a guy who obviously departed uh, in the summer, D'Angelo Russell's playing re- really quite impressively in Brooklyn, um, albeit in a kind of different environment. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on his departure from, from LA? Well, I mean, I loved watching him. I, I hope he has a really good career. Uh, I think maybe some personality things with the coaching staff obviously weren't working out because as a pure basketball trade, uh, you don't give, you know, Brooke is a nice player and, and is a kind of a veteran anchor for a young team, but you don't trade a a second or third, third year now, you know, a guard that's that talented, especially when the, the number one thing the team needs is a second creator and a shooter. Like mm-hmm. I think he could have played next to Lonzo, Incredibly, in a backcourt where both guys are six five or above, so you can they're both. Lonzo's actually been a, a pretty decent defender for a rookie. Uh, D'Angelo's been better this year, but like a, a you know a team that can switch, Lonzo can play off ball uh, defensively. It gives him a lot of options, especially with some of those small lineups they've been running and having success with the last two games. Yeah, I, I mean, as a pure basketball fan, I'm I'm sad that they're that they made that deal just because I think that that backcourt could have been really good. Yeah, because, uh, you know, obviously people have different attitudes as to, like, what what the point is in competing in the West nowadays. But, right. But, but with the Brooke, Brooke Lopez trade, obviously, that's, a, that's more of a win-now move, um, which, you know, that, that team isn't in a win-now uh, stage. But do you think it was more of a case of we need Brooke Lopez to help the younger guys or... I think that it was uh, maybe Russell wore out his welcome with the coaching staff, and then they drafted another point guard 
Mm -hmm. uh, and Simple obviously getting rid of one of those Mozgov or Dane contracts uh, as they move forward and try to get free agents. You can't have Mozgov making $17 million a year for two more years, just clogging up <laughs> your books. So I think that it, that had the most to do with it. And, and it, it sucks that you had to burn a young prospect to ditch that contract that you only signed, you know, like 18 mm -hmm. months ago, but kind of is what it is. <laughs> but I think it, it was financial and, and Russell needed a reset. He needed to go somewhere where, you know, maybe he gets like a, you know, a situation where he's, he's the guy and it's like, Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm a young prospect, but I can be traded. You know, nothing's guaranteed in this world. I think you're seeing that now is like the leadership he's showing is a lot better than what he was doing in LA. And I think he's going to be really good. I mean, he he's because the East is kind of so lacking in all-stars, like he's an outside shot at making an all-star team. So a change of scenery will do him good. And speaking of change of scenery, quick quick thoughts on the LeBron James rumors. Everyone, their mother seems to believe that LeBron is heading to LA next summer. I know we spoke a few weeks ago about whether he will go, and you said you're gradually buying in on that. But have you wavered at all? You know, I mean, there there is something to be said about uh, you hear rumors that you know, oh, he just bought a place in West LA, and he's his family's living here full time now. Uh, you know, so that, that holds some weight, but a lot of guys live in places, markets they don't play in now. So, uh, I mean, I, I, you got to wonder if Dan Gilbert didn't shoot himself in the foot with LeBron again by firing David Griffin without like telling him, uh, who that, that, you know, obviously the GM and, and LeBron were real close and had been there a bunch of years and had success. And, um, so, you know, who's, who's to say, I, I don't know. I think that there's, you know, every every now and then you you read an article and you're like, oh, that does seem more plausible. And then sometimes it seems less plausible. Who knows? They certainly can't bank on it. And I'm afraid that's kind of what they're doing right now. Oh, so, so obviously we need, need now to move on because the team that everyone has tuned in to hear about are the Celtics. And we're obviously, we obviously were met with a traumatic obstacle from the first game with Hayward's injury. But from the outside looking in, from the other side of the fence, so to speak, um, give me your thoughts on how the Celtics have started and, and what you initially thought that the Hayward injury would do for Boston and what you now think it has done. I mean, I didn't think they would be a, a title contender until maybe next year, just because good teams need continuity. Um, you know, Stevens is obviously like one of the, He's already one of you know the five best coaches in the league, uh, certainly X's and O's wise, and um, and I think another year helps him. I think, uh, I mean, we, Tatum's jump he's already made. You know, I wouldn't have expected that, and he, honestly, he may not have made it without the the kind of the hole in the roster opening up because Gordon's out. Um, man, obviously, I, I was watching that game live, and I think that's the worst injury I've ever seen in real time watching a sporting event. And it's just like kind of didn't want to watch the rest of the game, kind of lost interest in. You know, as I imagine, and I'm not even a fan of the team. That's just as a watching a human being get injured like that is awful. But I, I mean, yeah, it, what you see, I mean, from the tip, like Jalen Brown was a whole different player the first minute of that first game. Like he was already going to make a jump, obviously. And then Tatum, even in the second half of that first game, which, you know, talk about some psychological toughness from a rookie. You know, you've never played a pro game before. And then that's that happens in the first quarter of the first game. Like, man, that's those are some tough kids, some tough young guys you got over there who came out and really, like, yeah. played really well in the second half. 
it takes it takes an unbelievable amount of character because anyone who's played basketball, uh, if they saw that kind of injury and they didn't kind of grimace a little bit when they were lacing up their boots the next time they went for a session or something, yeah. then I'd be shocked. Whereas these guys are literally in the building. They see their guy that they know, a teammate, who has went up innocently yeah. for, for, an, for an alley-oop and he's come down and snapped his leg. And they're able to just com- completely go hell to lever. It's pretty incredible. But I know that you're high, as you've just mentioned, on Jason Tatum's ceiling. And Ainge has selected him with a clear idea of the kind of team he wants to build, a long, athletic, kind of diverse team. How do you feel about the trade they made to the Sixers and giving up that number one pick for the number three pick in which they selected Tatum and got a, got your pick, the Lakers pick, for the upcoming summer? What, what, what do you think? It looks like a pretty smart move now, doesn't it? It, it looks like a very smart move because, I mean, you know, Fultz obviously has something wrong. You don't change your shooting mechanics when you're averaging 20-some-odd points a game in college without mm. there being some structurally issue. So I don't know what the, the 76ers line on that is currently because they seem to change what they're saying about it every 12 hours mm-hmm. or so. But assuming Fultz, you know, hopefully he's good. You know, the more good players in the league, the more fun it is to watch. But if mm-hmm. he doesn't quite turn out to be what he is, you're going to look back at this draft and and it's Tatum and it's going to be Tatum ball and like Fox. And there's going to be, you know, they're going to do the redraft of this draft. And certainly it looks like the Celtics got a total winner with the third pick. And if you can add another first, you know, and the first of the Lakers are going to win maybe 29 or 30 games this year. So you're going to get another top six pick out of it. I think you do that like all day. <laughs> you take that trade over and over. Yeah. Uh, I got a yeah. chance to see, uh, uh, Tatum in, in summer league actually. Uh, and I think he, he put like, I think I saw his first game and he went for like 30 points and had all kinds of post moves and like in transition, making really good decisions. Like I, I think he's really good. Uh, like putting all, uh, all Lakers Celtics, uh, kind of baggage aside. I think that that's, that's one heck of a player, especially for a guy that young. He's in, he's incredibly smooth. He's got a real old man's game, considering the kind of <laughs> small small amount of years he's been on earth. But um, Celtics gave up the next pick, as you mentioned, in, in the Irving trade, and Celtics fans were unhappy, especially as Ainge had been so precious with the asset until then. You know, he there were chances, uh, reportedly chances to get other players, but with with the Lakers pick, do you think that they actually have a better shot in the upcoming draft, considering how the Eastern Conference is looking and how Brooklyn are looking. Maybe. Nets look pretty, like a pretty reasonable professional team. They look pretty good. Um, and just given the East-Western Conference, I mean, like they might have a, the Nets might have a better record anyway, meaning you'd rather have the Lakers pick. Um, and in which case, certainly the Nets have some better players than they had at any point the last couple of years since you guys have been sitting on that pick. So it might have been some good... Uh, some good thought process there by Ainge to like know that the team's going to be better than they've been and move that pick then. Uh, but man, if you get a chance to add someone like Irving and he's, you know, what, 24, 25 years old, that guy's a cold, cold blooded killer, man. You got to add that guy. There's, the league still comes down to who can get you two points when it's 89 to 90 with 20 seconds left. And that guy can get you two points more often than not. And a lot of these young guys and, and Kyrie himself, I think is, is helped by, a guy called Al Horford. So during his time in Boston, he's been a player that doesn't always shine on the stat sheet, but can always make players around him better. And 
he does a lot of things. You know, he, he is very multi-layered. He's been playing really, really well so far this year. How much do you think he'll benefit the young team around him, such as Jalen and Jason? Oh, a ton. I mean, obviously, uh, it's it's sad with, with Gordon going down because a lot of what those young guys need is, you know, kind of the, the older brother, mentor type guy. But, I mean, Horford may be one of the best teammates in the league by all accounts. Uh, and if they, could, you know, kept track of, like, hockey assists, like the pass before the assist, mm-hmm. Horford would have a half dozen a game. Like, he's one of the best passers. Obviously, like, even when he's not the one getting the rebound, he's getting the the other team's attention as a box out. So he's, like, you know, closing off half of his side of the court. Like, he's a really good player. And he's the kind of player that if you, you know, obviously if you watch basketball a lot, you can recognize like, oh, that, that guy's a very good player, even though, you know, you'll look at his stat sheet and he'll have 14 and seven and four assists and a block. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, oh, that's a pretty good game. And then, but then you like, if you watch the game, like it's a loud 14 and seven, you know? Yeah. Whereas like someone like Dwight Howard always gets, well, he had 22 and 19 and he lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I, I love uh, Horford. Yeah, he, he's been looking really aggressive. Um, and I, I actually think that he's been freed up by the addition of um, uh, Aaron Baines and also Daniel Tice, who has been a, a real surprise. He's worked his way into the, into the starting lineup. But I think the physical nature in which those guys play has meant that actually the team's less dependent on Hal Horford to be the main guy on the boards, the main guy that's kind of banging in the post. And I think that's freed him up to really kind of work on being flexible offensively. Right, because that's if you could pick something the Celtics have need for a couple years, they've needed just like a high volume rebounder, mm-hmm. uh, which is why when like the Nerlens Noel you know stuff was swirling around, that totally made sense for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I man, Ty's kind of coming out of nowhere, and then Baines. I mean, unfortunately, he's been on the bad side of some some Giannis uh, highlights, but then hasn't everybody you know? Mm-hmm. But you yeah, they've needed like kind of like a big, just a big body enforcer rebounder guy. And those guys seem to be doing a really good job. The, you mentioned the Yanis uh, highlight. That that main one, that the reaction has kind of pissed me off, to be honest. Because he he Baines goes up straight. Yeah, it, it's a foul. But he, everyone reacted like he ended his career with a poster dunk. But it was actually quite the opposite. No. Baines, Baines, Baines was like a roadblock. And uh, whilst it's obviously quite the feat of athleticism, like... Everyone's reacted like he made the dunk. It's a very strange reaction. But so yeah, moving on, I anyway. Mean, yeah. Well, well, like like Perkins always says, is you only get dunked on when you're playing defense. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and, and he said that he had to say something after Blake Griffin did it so many times uh. on, on his. <laughs> so on the 9th of November, Lakers and the Celtics have their first matchup of the season. Whilst it's just a regular season game, some will say it may be a good way of comparing two teams that are in very different stages of a quote-unquote rebuild. Boston have been simultaneously rebuilding and contending in a unique situation. Lakers have been doing it in a slightly more of a traditional way. Do you have any thoughts on where both teams are right now? Well, I mean, I think the Celtics are certainly going to battle for one of the top three spots in the East, even without Hayward. Uh, and the Lakers will be winning 30 games in a in a very loaded uh, Western Conference. Um, I, I think that the, the Lakers are a five or six seed in two or three seasons, kind of irregardless mm-hmm. of what free agents they get, even if they stick with the team they have and add kind of a mid-tier 
role player free agents. I, I think that they have the talent. They just need, I mean, they, all their best players are between 19 and 22. So it just is what it is. You, you got to let those guys get reps in a couple seasons. And um, Whereas I think, yeah, man, the, the Celtics, especially with those two young wings, I mean, they're going to go as far as, as Brown and Tatum can take them. But those are, I mean, if you looked at a, a pair of front court guys like in the, or, you know, threes and fours in the league, that's kind of the one you would want. I mean, they, they look, they look real good they're, and they're ready to win games now. And, and do you think that there's a, you know, do, do you think you have a time scale uh, that can work out with the two teams that a genuine renewal of the Lakers Celtics rivalry can take place? Well, I, I think the Lakers, you know, best case scenario. Uh, for them to make like a Western Conference Finals, like everybody else is four or five years from now, because if the Warriors don't, uh, you got to just wait for all those guys to get old. <laughs> just as, I mean, it's what the Eastern Conference has been doing with LeBron for ten years, so you just got to wait for them to get old. Um, and I mean, you know, maybe you know, maybe like a Clay Thompson wants more money or to be the, the number one guy, and he's going to go, but that's still two or three years away. Uh, so I, I think that you know, the Lakers, their first chance to be back there will be five years from now, six years from now. But it feels like the Celtics. I mean, LeBron's not not young forever, and they're getting they're getting good right when they should be getting good. And it's I could see them, and I'm not particularly afraid of the Wizards or the Raptors as much as they have some really good players, and they just don't strike me as having the consistency from like the general manager through the coach through the locker room that the Celtics do. I, I think that I think you'll see the Celtics make a finals here in the next three years. Moving on to a kind of historical. Um you know, recount of the rivalry. I assume that from the era in which you grew up, most of your memories of the rivalry are during the Kobe Big Three period. But what are some of the most profound memories against the Boston Celtics? I mean, I remember even those early, the early 2000s teams with, with Walker and Pierce giving us a lot of problems. Uh, even when the Lakers were winning, yeah. you know, rings with, with Shaq and Kobe. I just remember like Walker you know, one of the first stretch fours, you know, would just come in and just hit like eight threes against us and, <laughs> and just and kill Robert Ory and Fox, whoever we tried to guard him with. Um, I mean, I was I was just old enough to remember, like, you know, the series against the Pistons. And then, you know, obviously, like the 87 finals, I was six or seven. So I vaguely remember some of that. But then seeing it on Hardware mm -hmm. Classics and all that stuff. Um, I remember, like, hate-loving Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, the same, the same way I hate Paul Pierce is because he's so good. You know, you don't hate mm -hmm. players that you're not afraid of, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, uh, and then obviously the, like, I, it's such a, that 2008 through 2011 era was, was a really great period in the, in the league. I'm just sad that, uh, and this is not revisionist history. Celtics <laughs> freaking whooped us in 2008. That is what it is. Um, I'm just sad that Garnett got hurt, so that you guys weren't there in 2009 because you obviously would have been. Uh, and obviously, 2008, I think you still would have won, but I would have loved to see a three-peat where we had Bynum and Ariza in that first finals. I think you, you guys still would have edged us, but I think it might have gone seven. Yeah, and, and health kind of plays a massive, a massive part. Yeah, because I mean, but... per, obviously Perkins getting hurt, you know, in in, in the later finals. I mean, it just that's part of the game. But it's it's you always want to see two teams with their full roster playing each other, you know. Yeah, just just for any kids out there that have just started to get into basketball, Kendrick Bert Perkins used to be a key part of the team. You know, he wasn't always a kind of journeyman, just a body ready to get in and hit people. But um, who is your least favorite Celtics player? 
Uh, I mean, it might be it might be Perkins, uh, but I mean, it's probably it's probably Paul Pierce, just because he was with the team the whole time and he used to just always kill us. Um, but again, it's the same way, you know. You just hate the players that kill your team. Like he's a, he's an amazing player, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best small forwards ever. But yeah, I mean, just now it's it's you know like in retrospect now I can appreciate it. In 2010, I just hate. <laughs> but now that he's gone, now you you like kind of wax philosophical about the whole thing and like oh that guy was great i mean such and, a fancy you want to talk about a guy with an old man game he had old man game in like 2001 <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet you've always got the image of him wheeling himself back in in the wheelchair from that horrific <sighs> injury that he had <laughs> man but then immediately hitting like two big threes <laughs> <laughs> So obviously that falls in line with Paul Pierce. You you kind of he's your least favorite player, but he's also the player that you probably respect the most from that era. And I can totally relate to that. And I bet secretly a lot of the listeners would also relate to that with Kobe Bryant, because obviously the way he ushered the team to the finish line on a continuously basis, a lot of the time through pain. Yeah, you you can't you you love to hate that guy, but. You, you can't help but respect him. He's an unbelievable player. But this isn't your first time you've talked basketball on a podcast. You previously appeared on the USA Today podcast with Jeff Zilger uh, to speak NBA. Do you think it's something you would ever pursue away from music? I mean, I, I love being asked to come on and talk basketball. I mean, I love going to a, a pub after a game and, and, you know, if there's a game on, you know, I could be in, you know, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Pistons or something. And end up like chatting with people about that game, or I, I just love talking basketball. Uh, but no, I'll leave the uh, the journalism to the professionals, and I'll just <laughs> read Twitter a lot and talk with my couple buddies that work at various outlets and ask them questions that I probably shouldn't be asking. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you grow up playing hoops, and and you know, do you still find a way to play? If so, what kind of player are you positionally and kind of stylistic yeah i grew up playing uh all through you know starting in like third grade would play in some like you know national junior basketball stuff and then junior high and high school played for the schools i went to and played you know still played some rec league up until a couple years ago anymore like just i just turned 36 and i'm starting to feel father time like you know if i, if I play two or three pickup games the next day it's like I, I can't believe that professional athletes play at my age still. <laughs> like knees, knees and lower back and stuff are just like killing me for two days after playing for you know two hours or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, still, I mean, we still try to carry. Uh, you know, a lot of these venues have basketball hoops and stuff. We carry shoes and a ball and, and you know, stuff like that, and a bunch of us will shoot around and, and you know during the day and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I was kind of a. I was played. I was kind of like a two-three. You know, I'd bring the ball up a little bit, but it's mostly like kind of shooter, like move off the ball, get some easy cuts, get some layups. Just kind of running around, kind of like a like a taller. You know, I got a little size on it, but like kind of a a taller JJ Redick who can't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> because because not much of JJ Redick's game is based around his shooting. <laughs> yeah, pretty much his entire game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a recent Ringer interview, Kevin O'Connor. Um, he interviewed Arcade Fire frontman Wynn Butler, and he revealed that Josh Tillman, who many will know as Father John Misty, can play basketball. I wasn't sure how serious it was. Can you please shed any light on that? And if so, what kind of player is he? 
You know, Josh got a pretty good little jumper. Got a little bit of a back to the basket game. Uh, he's six five or so. Like he's a, he's a tall dude, so that helps him. Uh, you know, get position and stuff. I mean, Win Butler is. A, I mean, a gigantic human being. That, that dude's like, I'm six three, and he's got to be three or four inches taller than I am. I mean, as you see in like the Celebrity All Star Game when he just backs dudes down and scores on them just repeatedly. Um, yeah, Josh. Josh got a pretty good little game, man. For especially for a, I don't think he ever played. Like organized basketball, just kind of played, you know, playground stuff. Like he's he's pretty good. I can't six five. That that's really shocking to me. He doesn't he doesn't look six five, but obviously he's got some so deceiving... he's tall dude. Wow. <laughs> and who reigns supreme as the better player in the band? Oh, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm the only guy who played uh, as much as I did, and in the kind of situations like. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm easily the best basketball player in the band. Uh, I don't even think that's like a controversial thing to say. <laughs> it, it's your lane, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did, yeah. So quickly, back to music. Before playing with this band, you've toured with a plethora of different bands and musicians, including First Aid Kit, Everest, and the mighty, iconic Christina Aguilera. Uh, that really surprised me to read. So take us through the project you were involved with with her. Well, I played on, uh, she did a song for, I believe, the second Hunger Games uh, movie. And I, it was produced by a couple of friends of mine. Uh, and I ended up playing drums on it. So that's how, that's how you end up with a Christina Aguilera credit. <laughs> <laughs> Completely separate from every, the, all the other kind of bands he's played with. Yeah. So, so you weren't a live drummer for Christina, but, but that no, may no, be the just, just played wonder. on, <laughs> I, you know, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Uh, get, getting paid to play Genie in a Bottle is as good as it gets, man. So uh, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> we'll wrap it up anyway. I'll let you get on with your day now, Dan. Um, really appreciate you talking with, with us. It's been great. Thank you very much to the listeners of the Celtics Live podcast. Check out the links at the top of the CelticsLife.com. We have a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store and you can even get tickets to the next game under that heading. You can find the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode, because you'd, you'd never want to miss an episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, make sure to let us know with a comment on any Celtics Life article. Even if that comment is, why is this British guy talking about our basketball team? <laughs> Or on Twitter with the hashtag, hashtag CLPod. We're always trying to bring you the Celtics coverage you want, the way you like it. So until next time, thank you very much, listeners, and thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having me.